Hello, everybody. This is Judith. I am so excited. Thank you for joining Talk with Judith today. I'm excited to introduce a dear friend of mine here locally in New Orleans known as Dorian Nunez. Dorian Nunez is a speaker, an author, a researcher, a consultant, and a principal and co-founder of the Omni Research Group. Omni is a research and consultant practice focusing on emerging institutional investment and also which specialize uh, dealing with the small business and women and minority business enterprises. He has also worked along um, uh, with presidents and city officials, state treasurers, uh, council members, uh, public officials nationally. He's responsible for the concept of uh, historically underutilized businesses, which is the hub zone, he has a wealth of knowledge and information, and I just want to introduce you to my friend who is very helpful um, to anybody that's opening up a business that need a little bit more information on how to get started, and even as you get started, how to keep up with your data, things like that. So none other than Mr. Dorian Nunez. How you doing, Dorian? Uh, Judith, I'm doing great. I'm just doing great, and happy holidays to everyone, and Happy holidays to you. It's fantastic to see you continuing in the spirit of entrepreneurship, bringing people together, bringing information to people. I have always said, and I'll continue to say it, you're one of my favorite people in New Orleans. <laughs> so uh, always have been. And you have so many talents yourself, entrepreneur, singer. If you haven't heard Judith Slack sing, you're missing out on a treat. I was blown away the first time I heard her sing. Um and she comes from a family of musicians. But anyway, I'm doing great. And it's just great to be here and be part of this podcast with you. One of the exciting things that um, I could say is meeting you. I think we were at the uh, New Orleans Film Fest. Is that correct? That's right. That's when it was. And you had your computer lab and I was just hanging out, just checking <laughs> it out and trying to learn what was going on locally in terms of entrepreneurship. I think you caught me in a moment of... Uh, uh, being passionate about uh, the local entertainment here in New Orleans. And I kind of spoke out a little bit about, um, you know, utilizing our locals and, and film. And I think we were at the uh, Cafe Istanbul, I believe. I think that's about, it was so long ago. That was pre-COVID. <laughs> I don't remember anything now that COVID hit. So, but exactly. But you were, you were passionate and uh, you were talking then you were talking about local musicians who need to get more work, more business and be used more and make more money locally and not have to travel as much. And you had a computer lab. That's what um, one of the things that we talked about, because I've got a background in computers and training people on computers and how to train young people on being more computer literate. And we just hit it off. I think that's just it's all about relationships still. And we just hit it off. And so um, uh, you've done some work with us and we've done some work with you. But the most exciting thing was being in the audience and hearing you sing. That was <laughs> that that was the biggest thrill of all. And seeing part of the document of your, your dad, your sax saxophone player like me. I'm a frustrated saxophone player. <laughs> I have gotten paid for playing the sax, but but that was a long, long, long time ago. And um, uh, but it's just great to be here with you on this particular effort. Well, I do remember um, <clears throat> coming back to the city of New Orleans uh, from Los Angeles and 
And as I met you, I'm kind of getting my uh, getting back into the groove of 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 being here in New Orleans after leaving for 10 years. And I think what what, you know, was the highlight is being able to try to reconnect and connect with people. And part of my uh, coming home to New Orleans, meeting somebody like you, you actually gave me my first opportunity to work, not knowing (laughs) that. (laughs) I mean, I didn't have a job. I didn't. I barely had anything but, you know, what I brought in my car. And and, and uh, I remember, you know, when I, I connected with you, is like, I got some work you can do. And so I did some computer work, and we would meet up and help you with uh, different things. So, I mean, back then, um, even though it wasn't that long ago, I think it was 12 years ago, you <laughs> was, was highly instrumental in uh, inspiring me. So uh, with that said, I wanted to – Uh, go into something that I just shared with you offline, but I'm going to share it with you again. Uh, As I read more about you, I found out that um, you co-founded the National Foundation of Entrepreneurship, NIFTY. That was the uh, Ohio chapter. And then um, it says later attended Babson College program for teaching entrepreneurship as a guest of nifty and the Kaufman foundation. I wanted to bring that up because that program was introduced to me at the age of 16 years old. And, uh, I was a student, I believe I was going to new Orleans center for creative arts at the time. And I also, um, you know, was interested in learning, uh, the, the basics of business and a local, band here would remember this uh the Stooges brass band a friend of mine who uh is the the leader of that brass band his name is Walter Ramsey I do remember taking the books from the nifty program and we would sit in the car and talk about business and Walter was extremely passionate about business as he started his music group but I was passionate because I wanted to start a school of arts uh to teach um music dance drama writing art visual arts as well so this program was teaching me some of the basics of business as a 16 year old. Not yep. only that, um, it, I, I had an article in the newspaper and I was able to, after going through this program, get a certificate in entrepreneurship. Yep. <laughs> so um, with that said, that passion is still there um, uh, to do business, but it is just showing you where, your contributions as a co-founder of uh, of Nifty uh, was effective in a personal. Well, meeting. J- we j- just to be that. clear, just to be clear, I was a co-founder of Nifty Ohio. Right. And okay, <laughs> I just want to be. I want to be absolutely clear. But but I'm glad to hear you say that because Nifty has been a passion of mine. Um, let me spend a, a couple of minutes, if you don't mind, okay. sharing my insight about it. Um, I first got exposed to Nifty when I was a delegate to the White House Conference on Small Business under Bill Clinton. And Microsoft did a reception for all of us delegates. And while we were there, I met the real founder of Nifty, Steve Mariotti, who founded uh, Nifty and uh, based in New York City. And I talked to him and what what made me so excited about it was he had been a business owner. His family had had their own business and he'd become a high school teacher at boys and girls high in Brooklyn, New York, which is where I'm from originally. Mm -hmm. So here was a guy who had taught in high school. So he understood the students 
not not somebody who understood business and was going to try to preach to students. He was somebody who understood what motivated students. And he was working with inner city kids, helping them start businesses. And I said, yes, that's exactly what Wow. What needs to be done. And he said, and you know this, he said that the students that when they started their own businesses, they started to pay attention. Their math scores went up. Their attendance went up and they started doing well. This program is now national. It's now international. They send kids to schol- with scholarships to colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, they have nifty alumni who have their own businesses and are working in all of these big firms. And they're there's an effort to create a nifty chapter here in Louisiana. Wow. So we're going to have to put you back in touch with, there's a professor in Northern Louisiana. They hired nifty hired a woman out of Dallas, Texas to be the Southeast regional manager because wow. they don't have a lot of ex- enough exposure in the Southeast. And it's one of the most successful programs I've seen for teaching entrepreneurship to young urban students because it came out of a young urban uh, high school, and because it puts them in business where they actually can make some money, whether it's making T-shirts or it's promoting concerts or it's a record label, whatever it is that they try to do, it teaches them the basics of doing it. And they've got textbooks. I got books all over here from Nifty now. <laughs> I had I had those books for many years. Um, um, like I said, I, I shared it with friends because it's like yeah. I was I was the person to kind of like formulate stuff and I know that uh, as a 16 year old um, this is this is key to know that a lot of young people um, they're they're not solely focused but when you when you thinking about getting out of high school and the mindset you, you start thinking about college and you start thinking about where you're gonna go and I think that is a rough patch of life right there when you just don't know right. which road to take and I right. thought that this program was highly instrumental. Uh, for me, it was presented through Tulane University, and mm-hmm. I remember um, the uh, facilitator was Julie Salard, and she she loved everything I did. The she gave me a, a literature on how to do the business plan, and I did yep. a business plan. And once I did that business plan, she was so you know intrigued by it. She said, "Wait, we have to do an article." I think it was on the news, and it did an article as well. Uh, to represent the program. And it, 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 it may have been like something that passed through the city, but not lived. Uh, the chapter didn't live here, but right. because I know that they were kind of coming through and this had to be in 1996, I believe. That sounds about right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm so happy we're, we're on this topic, but I do right. want to, um, uh, to, you know, just, review a few things as you think about business and looking at business today, um, moving forward into uh, business, how, how likely are you to see um, from a a black business perspective or a minority business, not to say that just because it's a black is minority, but just from a minority business perspective, how, how likely are you to see more growth uh, post this uh, pandemic? Well, here, here, I see it. I see two sides of the coin. Here's the fir- here's the first side. People are realizing that they want to control their own destiny. So more and more people are starting to work for themselves, whether it's a Uber driver, because that's part of that's being self-employed, mm-hmm. or it's DoorDash driving around. They want control of their lives, control of their destiny, and they want to control their work environment. And all of that's good. 
or they're launching some other kind of business. And young people today, um, they don't want to work for somebody else. They want to have control and they want to work for themselves. And that's a good thing. So that's the good part. The other side of it is you still have to have that challenge. How am I going to get customers? How am I going to keep my expenses low? I know Uber drivers who don't uh, keep their receipts. I've talked to Uber drivers and Lyft. I prefer Lyft to Uber, but mm-hmm. uh, I've talked to drivers and I always ask them, do you file, do you keep your receipts and file your taxes? Because all of these things are deductible. And a lot of them say no. So there's a lack of, um, and in some cases, uh, there's still a lack of business sense mm-hmm. about keeping good records, keeping your taxes filed, getting all the tax deductions that you can so that you don't end up um, you know, paying more taxes than you should. Uh, so it's still a struggle, but I, the entrepreneurial spirit is rising high and the entrepreneurial ecosystem in New Orleans is pretty broad. There's a lot of services that are prepaid. They're not free. You already paid for them. So they're prepaid services from the SBA, economic development, city of New Orleans and other places, and not enough people take advantage of them and really use them to their full uh, capability, in my in my opinion. There are other issues, structural issues about not access to capital um, and other kinds of things that we could talk about. But um, I see the workforce, self-employment is, uh, is an option. You just got to do it right. I know you uh, mentioned the Uber, the Lyft. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take it uh, uh, take it to another, uh, side of it. I do, uh, see where I had an experience where you see, um, the average Uber or Lyft driver, DoorDash, picking up food, stuff like that. Yeah. Uber eats. Now there's two sides of that coin because you have a, a segment of people that's actually going to pick up food for somebody that's not cooking, you know, right. uh, somebody that's home just pressing a button to order the food. Uh, and then somebody's making money just to go pick up the food. Um, as a business structure, I think Uber, Lyft, the DoorDashes, and they're really making the the profit um, because it's an independent business to the, the the persons that are actually doing the driving. But the company itself, is, I mean, they're making money percentage off of the 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 food restaurant, you know, just to have that application. Um, exactly. So there's some some growth within that, but but does the Uber or Lyft driver actually win if they're not keeping their receipts, if they're not filing their taxes? Like those are the things that, as you see, many people are doing um, uh, this this type of operation, but they're not really solely keeping the the paperwork, the paper trail. So you might you might see some um, insignificant. Uh, financial matters that grow out of that but then how do you how do you teach development with the person that is you know self-employed um like how does that growth come if 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 there's no consumers (laughs) if everybody's you know door dashing and lifting then uh uh, companies are not getting as many workers we have a shortage of uh, people going to an actual job um, you do see, like you mentioned, the independence. There is a level of independence, but how how do we how does it economically impact this country when the majority of people want to do their own thing? Like, 
how does that work? Well, I'm a fan of entrepreneurship. So right. I say that if if every if those people want to be independent and they do it right and and they are able to make money at it, then I'm all for it. But you said a couple of things that people should be aware of. One is Lyft and Uber are making money. And so uh, only the Lyft and Uber drivers know how much they make an hour and whether or not whether or not the earnings that they make, because they have to pay their own auto expenses and other things, mm -hmm. whether or not it's really viable. That's what they have to figure out. And then if it's not viable, somebody needs to come along with a better business model that says we can organize Uber, Lyft and call it something else and give a better payout to the drivers, a better system. And um, and and they can make more money. They can or they can create a co-op among themselves and do it themselves. They have to think like that to do that, think entrepreneurially to do that. But that's not impossible in the world of capitalism and entrepreneurship to think about doing that. A lot of black restaurants that that don't have people uh, buying their food. Well, they can come up with a way of having a fleet of uh, drivers that can deliver their food at modest cost. And um, and share it with the drivers and share it with the restaurants and do better than what they're doing now. But they have to think collectively and then come together and figure out how to launch that as a business enterprise so that everybody can make money. You know what I see today as I go to different um, places, um, the restaurant uh, part of the, the, you know, the structure is empty. Yeah. Majority yeah. of people are picking up the food. Um, the dining yeah. room is empty. And yeah. I encountered a lady on uh, Magazine Street. Uh, it's like an Asian restaurant. And I was in there with a friend of mine. And she mentioned to me, because people were walking in and out, in and out. She had She's near the hospital, Turo, I believe. And she said that there's a lot of business with a DoorDash and Uber Eats and things like that. And she said yeah. it was about 18%, if I'm not mistaken, that they collect on wow. uh, what's being made. I don't know mm -hmm. how accurate that is, but um, she just kind of had a moment with me. And she said, I don't need this dining room. All I need is the kitchen. Mm -hmm. She said, right. I, I mean, it, so it's like gas stations couldn't make money off of gas, right? But they, mm -hmm. they put chicken... <laughs> <laughs> now you can go right. buy chicken and uh, uh, a T-shirt and, you know, people get all kind of stuff in the gas stations becoming a convenience yeah. store. Well, you just need somebody to be a visionary and pull a team together. And I don't know what it costs to invest, but put a business plan together and then say we can string together these independent black businesses and we could pull together various drivers and we can do delivery and marketing and promotion and advertise on WBOK or advertise on, uh, you know, talk with Judith and other places and get the word out. And they can buy from these, um, uh, they don't have to buy from Domino's. They can, they can buy from whoever else we able to put together and organize and structure. One thing that we could do as a people, we could cook. So, um, there's no reason why and we, can eat. we have to, and we can eat and we can eat. So, you know, you set it up the right way. Somebody, somebody hopefully will get inspired and come up with a plan to do this. And this is all doable. You know, and one last start there. When I, when I grew up in, in, you know, in Brooklyn, New York, the largest employer 
was a taxi company called Black Pearl. And that's because the, the cab, the taxi companies didn't want to drive around Brooklyn. And so Black Pearl was a bunch of black entrepreneurs. They created a taxi cab company and that's how everybody got around. So you can create Black Lift, Black Lift Every Voice, call it whatever you want, mm-hmm. and um, uh, go through the mechanics. There's a city that's 60% black. It, it would be very easy to network, go to the Black Chamber of Commerce and find out who all the restaurant owners are and have them come together and come up with a business model that um, helps them to sell their product to more people and have people driving around to deliver it. As long as you have the right uh, consumers and, 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 and customers, clients. So uh, one thing I do uh, recall um, talking with you about is the convention business. Is that mm. something that, that you're, um, you're still involved with? Well, we do workshops, we do investment workshops. And so we've done them all over the country. And obviously with COVID came, we stopped doing that. So we've now transferred all of that to digital. So we do webinars all around the country. We arrange for one speaker to talk to a group of investors over in Denmark. Uh, Through Zoom and Microsoft Teams, we can be international and do that. But gradually, as we come out of this COVID fog, uh, we'll be um, returning to doing our workshops and roundtables and and bringing investors together and things of that nature. So that's that's an ongoing business. But you know, back to your if I might back to your brother a bit. Anybody who watched the old movie Driving Miss Daisy knows that we've been driving cars and chauffeuring around for decades. Mm-hmm. You're right. So so we've been cooking, we've been driving cars, and we could cut hair. And so those are all traditional businesses and then people save their money up. They usually buy a house. They buy some real estate, some property, and that's how they create wealth. And so um, what's old is new, just a new business model for it. But you can do all that. And we know how to be musicians. People talk about Louis Armstrong being a jazz musician. Louis Armstrong was a businessman. Yeah. He happened. Music was the business, but he was a businessman. He owned a baseball team. And he and he he ran the he ran the band. He paid salaries to people. Mm-hmm. He was a businessman just playing the playing music and the trumpet and appearing in films and other things. So I think I think uh, musicians, especially in this city, they need more people like you. They need other places like uh, uh, you should be called Good Works, but now they go. I think it's called Go Good. Be. Okay, Good Work Network. And, yeah, but I think they changed their name to Go Be. Um, so they need to find some um, low low cost CPAs and accountants to help them structure their business better and stay on top of it from the record keeping side and be profitable. Um, but the talent, and they need to find other streams of revenue. So you know, we've you we've all seen the musicians who say they perform and they say buy my CD, and that's good. But there are other ways of generating revenue from your music. And you just have to be a little more creative and thinking broader and get some more allies to help you out to do it um, and get revenue. I think when you look at a city like New Orleans, um, the music is more of a live environment that people would get paid. And you go to places like the Nashvilles, the Los Angeles, New York, um, uh, Georgia, even though there's live environment, you know, there's a lot of recording artists and, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, people that make, you know, the mailbox money, you know, commercial, getting their mu- music in film, uh, film right. score, um, 
streaming platforms, you know, things like that. When you look at New Orleans, there's a lot of repeat um, traditional song. I'm just, I'm just making mention because there's a, a variety of artists that right. would play the same repertoire. And, but their songs of like Louis Armstrong, you know, Professor mm-hmm. Longhair, um, mm-hmm. Dr. John, you know, they will do all of these songs, but they're not actually their songs. They're just mm-hmm. covering. There's like a cover band, but they're getting mm-hmm. paid as a live performer. Some can actually record those songs. Some do and make a project out of it. But New Orleans is more of a live music environment that you get paid to play. But how much mm-hmm. you get paid to play, um, if you think about different levels of artists, not to say one is better than the other, but buskers. You know, you have somebody like Doreen Ketchens that's playing, you know, in the French Quarter, you know, maybe three to four days a week. You know, you have somebody mm-hmm. in front of Cafe Dumont. You have um, buskers on the street that are playing for tips. Okay. Mm-hmm. And tips are not taxed. You know, it's like money that people right. give. So, right. um how does, I mean, how I look at it is that there are so many different configurations of money flow, but how does it end up to really, truly benefit the artist and, and coming into their own to be able to say, okay, I play on the street every day. This is the type of money I make. But if it's regulated, then it becomes a problem because now it's a fight for a space on the street. 